So Mark 11, we've been uh, kind of on an, in an on-again, off-again sermon series through Mark in the last couple of years, actually. And uh, today we get to the passage you've been waiting for, the cursing of the fig tree, right? Everybody's favorite. Um, seems really random, uh, and, and granted, it is a little random at first, but I think once we dig into it a little bit more, uh, maybe it'll be less Random. So let's start verse 12. Um, if you were to start at the beginning of chapter 11, that would be Palm Sunday. And really from here to the end of Mark is the last, it covers the last week of Jesus' life uh, for the majority of the time. So the triumphal entry was Sunday. So let's pretend that it's Monday of Holy Week. Uh, these events take place on Monday and then uh, into Tuesday a little bit. So verse 12. On the following day when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. He being Jesus was hungry and seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his, his disciples heard it. Now at first, you know, it's like Jesus is hungry, gets to the fig tree <laughs> No figs, you know, like, does he need a Snickers? Is that what he need to do? Like, is he having, like, one of those days? Uh, is he, um, what's going on here? Uh, why would he curse this fig tree because it doesn't have figs? It says it wasn't even the season for figs. So what's, what's the story there? Um, fig trees uh, in, in Israel at this time uh, kind of had, there was a pattern to them. And I don't know, I don't know if fig trees here have a similar pattern. I'm not really sure. Uh, I have a fig tree, um, and it is, it's big, it's beautiful. Um, it does what this tree does, though. It does not produce any figs. Uh, it has big leaves on it, and every year I'm the sucker that's like, this is, this is the year it's going to happen. And when I moved into this house, uh, I was really stoked about the fig tree because my grandfathers were both gardener-farmer types, and they were into figs. And uh, one of my grandfathers even developed his own recipe for fig ice cream, which uh, seems really gross when you first think about it, and it's even more gross when you eat it. But he loved it. And so I was thought, like, cool, I'll be the fig guy. Like, there's people, you know, people at the church, there's some of you that have chickens, you know, and then you're like, hey, that's the chicken. They're the chicken people, or some people have goats. You're the goat people. I'll be the fig guy. You know, that'll be my deal. And, um, and then the thing doesn't produce any figs. And so I can relate to this story because I've cursed this tree many times. Um, uh, five seasons going now in a row. It has not produced any figs. And, but in Israel, and like I said, it may happen this way here too. I'm not really sure. But this time, uh, here's what would happen is the fig tree would, the figs would, they would bud and then the fig would grow and then the leaf would come later. Like that was like the last thing. And so if you saw a fig tree and you saw leaves... That meant that there were, there were figs on it. So at a distance, you maybe couldn't see the little figs on the tree, but if you saw leaves, you're like, oh, there's figs on that tree. Let's get some figs. And so he sees leaves. It's not the season for figs. And so in Jesus' mind, and probably the disciples too, they're like, hey, that, that sucker is ahead of the game. I'm hungry. It's not even fig season, and that thing is clearly producing figs because it has leaves. Let's go get some figs. And they get over to it, and there's no figs. I understand the frustration every year, no figs. And Jesus says, uh, you're done. May no one ever eat from you again. And it seems really like kind of uh, out of character. It seems really strange. 
and harsh. But this is what has been called an, an enacted parable. That what Jesus is doing here, instead of telling a parable, he's acting one out. And he's telling a story. But it's not one that makes a lot of sense until you look at the next passage uh, where he kind of it starts to connect the dots a little bit better. So uh, in the next passage, they go into the temple. And let me tell you a couple of things about the temple to kind of set the stage for, for it. So when you enter into the temple, the first thing that you come to is called the court of the Gentiles. And now the, the temple, the temple is, it's massive, this massive structure. The court of the Gentiles, huge, big, open area. And um, there, there was a wall and only, only Jewish people could, could pass through this wall into the next section of the temple. So this was for all the non-Jews, all the Gentiles. It was huge, and it was, but it was for them. Like, if they, were, if they were seeking God, they wanted to pray, they wanted to worship, uh, it, was, it was segmented out, but this was the space for them, and it was for that. That was the whole point of it, um, was that's what the space was for. Now, this was Passover week, and that meant that there were um, thousands and thousands and thousands of people that had traveled to Jerusalem. And a part of what they were going to do there is they were going to go to the temple at some point, and they were going to pray, and they were going to worship, and they were going to bring an animal to be sacrificed. And just to give you an idea of how many people are there, uh, the, the Jewish historian Josephus said that um, one year they, in the count was 255,000 lambs that were sacrificed. So that's 255,000 families represented in Jerusalem at one time. So you're talking about people from everywhere. And then whenever they would, they would travel in for weeks, and instead of bringing an animal with them from home, they would just save up enough money to then buy the animal in Jerusalem because they wouldn't, it was traveling with an animal and then if something happened to it, that was your sacrificial animal and it'd be a whole bad deal. So they would travel, come to Jerusalem, they would go find a money changer to exchange their money for the local currency and then they would go and they would buy a lamb from a lamb salesman, whatever they're called, uh, and uh, they would buy a lamb and then they would go bring it into the temple uh, to be sacrificed. That was the rhythm of what was happening. The priests had the thought of like, hey, uh, all these money changers um, who are charging you know, a little money on top of that, they're making money. Um, the guys selling the lambs and the pigeons and all that stuff, they're making money. It's outside of the temple. What if, what if we let them come set up in the court of the Gentiles? And that way, the, those who are traveling, rather than buying it out in the city somewhere, they can just come by it at the temple. And then everybody makes a little money. We make a little money. And it's big open space. Why, why not do that? So they turned this court of the Gentiles, which was supposed to be for prayer and for seeking God, they turned it into a big open-air market, like a big flea market kind of thing, where tens of thousands of people were packed in there. The priests of the temple decided to do this. Uh, a little at, at some point prior to this, this was kind of a new installment that they had put in. Um, so that's the that's the scene for the next part of the text. So look at verse fifteen. They came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought. Um, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. 
And he was teaching them and saying to them, and then he, this is a quote from Isaiah, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out in the city. So Jesus comes in, and this, this passage has been you know, used differently, interpreted differently, and all this kind of stuff. Jesus comes in, he sees what's happening, he sees the, what has happened to the court of the Gentiles, he sees the open air market and all the things that are going on, and he decides, uh, I'm about to shut this down. So he starts turning the tables over, and he starts stopping people from passing through, and he becomes a disruptor in this moment, which is not a license to just you know go and act however you want, all this kind of stuff. There's, you, to understand what's going on here is really, really important. Um, Jesus disrupts all these rhythms of the temple because they had become a distraction from the whole point of the temple in the first place. So the temple, that's, you have the, uh, this big structure and it's divided up different ways, but the, the centerpiece of this was, was the actual temple where, where the Holy of Holies was. This is where the, the Ark of the Covenant was. This is, was, this is where God's presence was dwelling in, in, in fullness in a way that made this a sacred site. Um, this, um, historically, this is where, this is like the GPS point where um, Abraham, or this, Abraham uh, didn't sacrifice Isaac. Same, same point, same top of the mountain. Um, when you see pictures of Jerusalem now and you see the Dome of the Rock, the gold dome, this is that, that point. This is the, these are the most sacred GPS points on the planet um, in uh, a couple of world religions. Like This is a special, incredible place. And the whole point of this place from the very beginning, the whole reason that God designed it was the, the idea of a temple is, is to have God dwelling with his people. And so if you back up a little bit, you take a big picture like realization that, that this God wanted to dwell in person with his people, very different from all the other gods. All the other nations, they had, the, they had multiple gods, all these statues and things that they would worship or worship the sun or the moon or different things, like all these, all these kinds of things. But here, the God of Israel, their God came and dwelled with them. He was among them. This was the overlap point between heaven and earth. This was, this was holy ground. This was sacred. And w- so this temple, which was supposed to be a, it was supposed to point to this greater reality of this loving God for all of the nations to come together and for people to hear about this and to say, I, I can experience this too. It's like, yeah, you can come to the temple. You can come and pray in the temple. This, this God can be your God. And these priests had hijacked it. And they had turned it into, into this way to make money and manipulate people and all this kind of stuff. And the holiness of Jesus, couldn't, he couldn't take it. He says, you are completely missing the point. This is, what, this is how N.T. Wright summarizes it. He says, the temple had been intended to symbolize God's dwelling with Israel for the sake of the world. But the way Jesus' contemporaries organized things 
it had come to symbolize not God's welcome to the nations, but God's exclusion of the nations. It was saying, you're not welcome here. You're not like us. You're not welcome here. We're going to take this court that was for you to be able to pray, and we're going to use it for our own purposes to make our own money. You can just fend for yourself because you're not like us. You're not one of us. You never will be one of us. And Jesus was like, I'm not putting up with this. So he did something about it. He wasn't going to stand by and watch Gentiles be excluded. He wasn't going to watch money be used for purposes of injustice. He wasn't going to watch the poor be oppressed and exploited. He wasn't going to watch this place that was intended for holy purposes for the nations. Um, He was not going to let it be corrupted. So, what does that have to do with the fig tree, right? Those things do not, those two things do not necessarily connect. Here's, here's, the, here's the connecting point between them. The fig tree, the whole point of a fig tree is what? To make figs, right? What kind of, what kind of a silly goose has a fig tree in his yard for five years and just lets it not produce figs, Right? Silly goose. I don't know where that came from. It's like, how can I be self-deprecating and there's kids here? Silly goose, winner. <laughs> Whatever. But like, who would do that? I'm only, only me. Every year I'm like, maybe this is the year, God. And it's like, no, it's not going to happen. The point of a fig tree is to make figs. The point of the temple was to point people to God. The fig tree was failing to accomplish its purpose. The temple failing to accomplish its purpose. The text says when he came upon the fig tree, he saw it was nothing but leaves. In other words, it was, it was giving the appearance of a fig tree, but it didn't have the fruit. The temple was giving the appearance of holiness and pointing people to God, but it didn't deliver they were, there was false advertising. It was deceptive. It was hypocrisy. And Jesus was not going to sit around and let that happen. The Gentiles are too important. God's sons and God's daughters are too important. He was not going to sit by and let a bunch of priests manipulate this situation. He wasn't going to have it. So just like with the fig tree that he cursed... He also cursed the temple, in a sense, because it was nothing but leaves. It just presented, but it was lying. Now, this really scared the leaders, and this is, it really, this is where they, they decided, okay, we've got we to gotta kill him. This is the moment. It says we have to kill him. And, you know, he was okay with dying. I mean, he, he was okay with it as much as you can be okay with it because he, he's like, that's kind of what I came here to do. Like, it's fine. Because Jesus, like, Jesus was actually the temple, when you think about it. Like, Jesus was the overlap between heaven and earth. Like, they, they meet in Christ. And so it's interesting that the actual temple walked into a nothing-but-leaves temple. And the nothing-but-leaves temple, it couldn't survive itself in the presence of the real temple. 
And ultimately, when Jesus would die, the veil of that temple that contained the presence of God in the Holy of Holies would be torn in half. And the presence of God would not be contained in that way anymore. And the dividing wall that kept the Jews and the Gentiles separate would be destroyed and torn down. Like, Jesus was a part of a story that was moving, moving in a direction. And not only, not only that, Jesus would, uh, he would die, but he would be resurrected. And then he would ascend to heaven and send the Holy Spirit so that you and I can now be the temple of God. Like, you and I are now the, we're the overlap of heaven and earth. We are, we are the signposts that are pointing people to God. We are the walk, walking around temple of the Lord. Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. He says, as you come to him, being Jesus, he's a living stone that was rejected by men, but in the sight of God he was chosen and precious. And you yourselves, meaning us, like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So the church is, as Peter would describe it, and Peter is Mark's source, and so they were buds, and so this is where it's all tying together, that we as living stones are being like, stacked together as God's temple. Like we are now the place where people come to find the Lord. And yes, yes, they go to creation, and yes, they go to the scriptures, but they also come to the church, not the church church, the us church, the people church, the actual Sons and daughters, redeemed people of God. We are now where people are going to search for that nourishment that they're looking for. And the whole world's looking for it. The whole world wants, that, like, we were created to want what Jesus is offering. Everyone doesn't realize it. A lot of people are in denial um, or unwilling to, like, you know, there's a, all kinds of reasons why this, like, is not 100% of the population of the world, you know, there's a bunch of reasons behind that, but we were created for it. And people are looking for that. So Jesus was hungry, and he was looking for figs in a fig tree. Gentiles were hungry, they were coming to the temple to pray and to like seek after this God. The fig tree wasn't working, the temple wasn't working. Jesus works, though. Jesus absolutely works. And the reason why this is so important to you and I is that since we are living stones, we are the new temple of God, we are, because we are who we are, he's made us, um, we have to understand that it's possible for our lives to be nothing but leaves as well. That's why this story is so relevant. It's easy to think, well, that's something that happened then, it has nothing to do with me, except for the fact that I'm, I'm the temple, you're the temple. And it would be very easy for me to just put on a presentation for everyone that gives the impression, gives you the assumption that I'm a Christian. But yet, if you got close to me, you know, like Jesus had to get close to the fig tree to realize there's no figs. He had to walk into the temple to see the chaos that the priest had ignited. When people get close to me, are they finding the nourishment they're looking for or are they finding, I do just none but leaves, you know? And I, I hope, I mean, I hope that 
as people like enter into my life, whether it's a casual encounter here or there or, or people walking closely or anything like that, I hope that as people are close to me that they are seeing consistency. I hope they're fine figs. You know what I mean? Like, and I hope that's the same for you. I, I, that should be our goal, right? It's not to just, not to just present as a Christian of like here from a distance. Yeah, that guy looks like he has it together. That, she goes to church. She, she uh, is in a community group. She has a Bible verse on her, uh, a Bible verse bookmark in the whatever. I don't know if that's still a thing. Um, but like, there's like all these, these things like, yeah, he doesn't really cuss very much. He probably is a Christian, you know, like those kinds of, all those like things were like, let's just try to like keep all these behavioral things there. When they get close, I hope that, I hope that you'd find someone who walks with Jesus, like, like walks, walks with Jesus. Like Jesus is, is a part of everything. Um, I would hope that to be found like someone who is prayerful and that the scriptures are like a part, a part of, of life, you know? I hope that when people get close, they find humility, that they find um, people who live by faith and not by sight, you know? And people who, and by that I mean like, like we, people that just trust the Lord, even though sight would tell you to completely panic and freak out. And even if the whole world is telling you panic and freak out, you're like, I, I'm rooted in something bigger than me. So I'm, I'm not, I'm, no, no. And when people get close, they find faith and hope and love as the encampment of, of our lives and that the greatest of those would be love. Then when they get close, they find what Paul says as the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience goodness and gentleness self-control I mean, all, like all, all of those Jesus things and, and I hope that they also find someone who's not afraid to let people get close because you have nothing to hide you know I'm not trying to keep you at arm's length because I'm worried that if you get too close you're going to realize I'm, I'm nothing but leaves I hope that, that's, I hope that they would find the fruitfulness that they're looking for Right? That's like a, we're all there, right? That's what we want in our lives. You want people to get close to you and be like, yep, just as, just as I suspected, a Christian, like a Jesus follower, disciple of, of Christ, a son, a daughter, that's what you want. But it's possible as living stones for us to, um, to go through seasons, maybe, where that fruitfulness is that is not there, where we're just kind of keeping up all the out external stuff. The leaves are there, but the fruit is not there. Maybe you're in a season right now. Maybe there's a season down the road. Maybe you're just coming out of one. I, that's not really up up to me. But if you are if you are feeling the like encouragement of the spirit right now, like if if God is like kind of like affirming, like hey. The, you're doing good, you know. Like there, this is you're in a good season. There's there is fruitfulness. If people got close to you, they would find figs, you know. Then receive that. Like let let the Lord bless you. Um, it's so it's so easy to like for church to become a place of like just 
just tr- hammer drops, you know, like we're not doing enough, or we're not doing this. And then, uh, you know, I think that the spirit is an encourager. He t- actually tells us that in the Bible. It's not just Josh thinks it. It's in the Bible. <laughs> um, the spirit also can bring conviction. And so if there's a part of you that's kind of feeling the weightiness of this, uh, receive that too. It's not condemnation. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He's already, he's already died for that. If he's bringing conviction, he, he's trying to lead you into, some, into fruitfulness. And so the, if, we, if, we, if you look at the way the passage lays out, there's the cursing of the fig tree, and then he goes into the temple. And then there's a third passage that uh, has been described as like a, like a, a Markin sandwich. There's a couple of times where he like puts something in the middle of two other things, and they all kind of help explain each other. And I didn't call it a Markin sandwich. Other people did, if you think that's weird. So, um, so look at verse 20. Because the cursing of the fig tree and the uprisal in the temple, and that's not the end of the story. There's another, there's another part. Verse 20. As they passed by in the morning, so this would be Tuesday, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. Look at Jesus' answer. Jesus answered him, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, Whoever says to this mountain, probably, probably the mountain where the, uh, the temple mount is, probably the Holy of Holies, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it'll be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father also, who's in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. So what, how, does that, how does that help things? Well, remember who he's talking to in this moment. These, these are the guys that are going to take it over for him. He is handing them the keys to the kingdom, the keys to the church. They, they are going to, like, they're going to take the church into this new era. And he's looking at them, and essentially he's saying, you know, there's no hope for that fig tree. In the temple, we're moving on. But you, there's hope for you. Like there's, there's hope for you. That you, you don't have to end up like the fig tree. And where do, where do you start? And he says, well, have faith in God. That's, his, that's the main statement. They're like, hey, man, the fig tree with her. He looks at me and says, have faith in God, boys. Tr- like, believe that God is believable. And everything else he lists, these are just ex- examples of where faith shows up. Um, it takes faith, he, he says, you know, to move that mountain, but think of it as like, it takes faith to pursue the impossible. If you're in a season of fruitlessness and you're feeling that conviction, there's a part of you that feels like there's no way, there's no way that God can turn it around for me. There's no way that I can overcome this, I can get out of this rut, that there's just all these things that are coming up. And Jesus is saying, you know, that seems like a really big task to you. But it isn't big to the Lord. 
So have faith, like believe that God can produce fruit in your life again, that he can lead you out of this season. It takes faith to pray and to ask. It takes faith to go for it and overcome doubt. It takes faith to forgive, which he points to. It also takes faith to be forgiven. Like all the things that, that he's listing, they're all just expansions on this idea of like, where do you start in a pursuit of more fruit in your life? It starts by believing that God can do that. Because all of us, all of us carry this leftover insecurity with us. Kind of always feel like we're not quite measuring up, not sure if we can overcome this, not sure if this can change. Um, a lot of people walk around, a lot of Christians walk around feeling like they're just not measuring up, always kind of feeling bad about stuff. And Jesus looks at these guys and he's like, hey, this is the key. You got to believe that God can do it. And then you ask him to do it. You ask him to move a mountain and do something impossible. You ask him to help you forgive or to realize that you are forgiven. You, help to, you ask him to overcome doubt. Like you just ask him to do that from a place of believing that he can do it. And the thing is, no hope for the fig tree, no hope for the temple. There's hope for those guys. There's hope for us as well. Because Jesus knows what's ahead. He knows that he's going to die and then he's going to get resurrected and then he's going to ascend and the Spirit's going to come. And when the Spirit comes and all these little temples are walking around, all these living stones are walking around, that that sometimes is going to bring difficulty into our lives. That we are going to go through times where we're nothing but leaves. And without the encouragement of the Lord, without the third part of that story, without the completion of that mark and sandwich, you just sit in, you sit feeling like a fig tree that has no leaves. Instead of hearing God whisper to you, come follow me down the path of righteousness. Believe that I can do this in your life. Believe that this is not the end for you. The end for you has already been written and it's glorious. And so what we have to do is we have to bring this into our lives, we have, to, we have to, to deal with whatever it is that we're feeling God stir. And so if you, if you are feeling encouraged by God and you have been in a season of fruitfulness, you know what seasons of fruitfulness tend to do? They tend to make us want to bear even more fruit. You're, you'll, you'll, I hate it sounds hyperbolic, you'll, but I'll say it anyway. You'll never be in a season of fruitfulness where you're going to say, you know, I think I'm good. I think I'm I think I'm producing enough enough godliness, enough faith and hope and love. I think I'm I think I'm doing. I think I'm just going to kind of cap it, you know. And it does not work that way. You just want to keep abounding more and more in the love and good works that God's called you to. And so, if you are feeling that encouragement today, I would also hear that encouragement that there is always more, there's more that God wants to do. It's always more. And it's not because you're not doing enough. It's because God is an abundant God. And if you're on the other, kind of the other side of things and you're feeling convicted because you're like, man, my life is nothing but leaves so much of the time, then hear him lead, like wanting to be ready to lead you out of it. Like he, he wants to produce that in us. He, he's not mad at you. I'm mad at the fig tree in my backyard. I don't know why I won't just cut it out and put it by the road. It's sentiment maybe, but I'm mad at it. But God is not mad at any of us. 
He wants to produce that fruitfulness in us even more than we do. So hear him whispering, just believe believe in me. Believe that I can do it. Take those steps forward. Ask me to do it. Ask me to move the mountain. Ask me to overcome the doubt. Ask, Ask me to forgive. Just ask me. And so wherever you are in that whole mixture of things I just said, remember, you're not the cursed fig tree. And you're not the temple. You're the, you're the new temple. You're one of the living stones. And God is putting us together, little by little by little by little, to form this incredible, beautiful thing so that the nations can be healed. So however that fits into your life, that is yours to steward. So we're going to sing, because that's kind of, if you're new to, new to things here, we like to sing at the beginning and at the end, because sometimes you just need to let, let the Lord tend to some stuff. And so these steps down here are, are open. If you want to come and kneel and pray, uh, just you, get some people to come with you, whatever it may be, just to kind of process whatever it is before we dismiss and kind of life picks back up again. This is a special time. Uh, to be able to do that. So I'm going to pray as our musicians come back. So let's stand together. And as you, as you stand and kind of get situated, just take a second and ask the Lord um, what, it, what it is that you're supposed to grab onto from this morning. Could be a song lyric, could be something from the text, could be a number of things, but what is what is for you this morning before we spend some time singing and praying? Lord, we... Um, Well, first of all, I'm just so thankful that we don't have to travel around the world and climb our way to some temple. I mean, no disrespect to that temple, but I'm just glad, God, that you are, uh, that you have set something new in motion and that heaven and earth are overlapping in my life and in lives all around this room and all around this world. All of these living stones part of this massive temple that you call your church and so thankful God that the sacrifice has already been like made so we don't have to travel we don't have to buy an animal to be sacrificed we don't have to we don't have to do any of that you've you've done all those things for us it's it's an expression of faith that comes from a place of love and that brings hope alive in us and so help us, Lord, wherever we are in this whole, whole thing. Help us to have faith in you. From those in the most fruitful seasons to those in the biggest drought, that we all, we're all looking to the same Savior to lead us forward. And so help us to sense that welcoming as you lead us down the path of righteousness for your name's sake. So as we pray, as we sing, uh, may you just have your way in the room, in our hearts and in our minds.